Blog Talk Radio. And we are live from San Diego, California. Welcome to This Week in Accountable Care, brought to you by ACO Watch, a blog monitoring the birth of the accountable care industry. I'm your host and producer of the show, Greg Masters, and we are broadcasting on Wednesday, June 20th, 2012. My, how time flies. And joining me on the broadcast is Leonard Kish, a Denver-based consultant at the intersection of healthcare biotech. Oy! Hold on, I got something in my ears here. Stop. Okay. Now, I was telling you about uh, my guest, Leonard. Leonard is a Denver-based consultant at the intersection of healthcare biotech, IT marketing, and product development. Leonard is the marketing and communications group chair and co-producer of the e-collaboration forum, a co-production of HIMS and the collaborative Eco- and the collaborative health consortium, a contributor at OpenSpace.com, and advisor to the Innovation Center of the Rockies. Welcome, Leonard. Well, thank you, Greg. Glad to be here. I'm so happy you could join me today. I have to tell you that you are unbeknownst to you that um, um, I had J.D. Kleinke slided to uh, to uh. be on the show today. So you you are standing in for a giant in the industry. So I want you to know this is a tacit recognition well. of your importance in the conversation today. Well, uh, J.D. and I go way back, actually. So uh, good. He owes me a, a dinner then. <laughs> So, uh, and uh, J.D. will reschedule once the announcement of the Affordable Care Act decision is uh, is rendered by SCOTUS, as they say. So, um, today, uh, we are going to discuss a recent piece that Leonard wrote that's getting some fair amount of airplay in the blogosphere, Twitter, etc., by some pretty notable people. Uh, and it's titled, Health Data Palooza engagement and the dark matter of healthcare <laughs> colon patient goals now this is a featured blog post on the uh, go to uh, hl7standards.com blog and time permitting uh, after we get into that time permitting we'll touch on the upcoming scotus decision on the constitutionality of the affordable care act in particular the individual mandate and some of the buzz that's out there on whether or not this is going to change anything, uh, really. Uh, the horse seems to be out of the barn in the judgment of some. So, Leonard, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks, Greg. Okay. So let's talk about, first of all, tell us, you heard me read your description. Now tell us a little bit about who is Leonard in the first person. Sure. I, uh, I think the most central thing to know about me is that I come from a pretty diverse background of biomedical science, uh, business, and IT together. I came out to Colorado in the late 90s to uh, go to graduate school for neuroscience at the Colorado Health Sciences School here. And 
moved from there right into uh, becoming a requirements analyst for a major telecommunications company and doing an MBA and a master's in information systems. So my passion is really about networks and network systems and how they learn in a variety of contexts. Um, so I've worked now in healthcare since 2006 in one way or another. Uh, went to China and worked in the healthcare system out there uh, with some of the guys who developed the original platform for the Global Healthcare Exchange. And I've been working with uh, small and medium companies and with some nonprofits since then, uh, all at this kind of intersection of healthcare and technology and engagement, um, which is really coming to the forefront, and that's what the article is about. So you've got the uh, the business side, you've got the tech side, you've got the skin in the game, um, uh, healthcare interests, as well as the professional engagement in the healthcare industry. So, so you're coming at it from, a, as you say, an eclectic background. Yeah, uh, and I think serendipitously, I think more than anything, it seems like it's all coming together now because uh, what we seem to be finding is that getting people engaged in technology and improving communication um, as we move towards payment reform in one way or another, whether it's government-driven or otherwise, uh, getting people engaged in their own care and getting engaged in the whole system is becoming paramount. So let me tee up this piece because uh, this is actually um, um, uh, a I, I, this comes after I think a brilliant series that you put together a while back called uh, and I don't know if I got the title right but it's uh, ACOs and Moneyball Medicine or Moneyball Medicine and ACOs but tell me a little bit about first the inspiration for this blog post on on the dark matter of healthcare i.e. patient goals talk about that what was it sure. what are you getting at here so uh, to clarify by dark matter I mean like the dark matter in the universe that uh, holds it together as opposed to the dark discussion or something. Oh, oh, so so really as opposed to maybe a black hole kind of concept that sucks all uh, life. <laughs> you're talking about no, you know, the invisible stuff that holds things together. Right, right. No, that was managed care. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, excellent. So go ahead. Well, let me not put words in your mouth. Um, yeah, so, so the dark matter, um, what I came to understand, I think at uh, health camp, which if you haven't been to health camp, it's uh, called an unconference. It's a, which means that uh, people that come to the conference develop the program as it goes. And if you haven't been to one, it sounds crazy and, and like it will never work, but it actually works really well. And I think in the context of the health data palooza, which we'll, we can talk about in a little bit, and the whole health data and innovation week in D.C. that happened the first week of June, uh, you also get just a great cross-section of people that are, care about healthcare and technology. And it happened at the uh, Kaiser Total uh, Health Center there in D.C. near the uh, train station. That's Center for uh, Total Health. Center for Total Health, that's right. right. And, uh, it, you know, engagement is one of the things I've been thinking a lot about just because of my background and and. Um, coming from a little bit of experience with user experience and other things that get people engaged with technology. Well, let me stop you there because 
engage define for us engagement because that could be kind of code for people like you and I who understand what it means. But why don't you tell us what do you mean by engagement? It's particularly in the healthcare space. You know, it having it means getting people uh actively involved in the decisions uh that lead to uh their goals. I think it's probably the easiest way to, to put it. And when we talk about engagement in user experience design, it really, a lot of the research that you do is directed at figuring out what people's goals are when they use an app, when they use an application or some kind of piece of technology and trying to find the, the shortest path between them and the thing that they want to get done um, with technology. And I think we're seeing that a little bit more with, uh, um, healthcare now, but it's never really been goal-driven, and I think it's hard to have the engagement. It's hard to get people involved in their own, uh, or get them engaged uh, if they don't have their goals in mind and they don't have a, a way to try to pass the goals. One of the blog posts is about is, is that you know a lot of healthcare right now is it's almost like an auto mechanic. You go to get something fixed, but for these new payment models to work, we really need to get people on the right path. We need navigators or tour directors or, or some other model that's going to get people on the path towards better health as opposed to just fixing them when they break down. Okay, so that's helpful. And uh, maybe I can add that as as we've come to know that uh, – whether it's the 80-20 rule or something close to that, uh, it's uh, most of the demand and the impact on the delivery system and the financing of healthcare is driven by chronic disease. And, right. and, and chronic disease are 75-plus percent about lifestyle choices. Right. So the idea that uh, it's engagement is like motivating and engaging people to do things that that are that optim that you know affect their health status is is really the name of the game, correct? Absolutely. I think it's uh, for me. I call it uh, shortening uh, the feedback loops. Um, healthcare, by and large, happens over very long time periods. You're trying to convince somebody to quit smoking or not to eat a hamburger or cheeseburger. Or, or to, you know, eat an apple instead. You're talking the feedback, um, say for quitting smoking, could be uh, some immediate, but you know, a lot of the effects are, are 40 years out. So you need other stepping stones along the way to to get that behavior to change. I think, and I think that's where technology can play a big role, because you can't, you know, you can't have people, you know, in care coordinators you know, following people around, but you can get them engaged on their phones and, and through other means. So why is or are patient goals the holy grail here? Hasn't it always been about the patient? And and how does technology enter the picture here? Well, I think it hasn't. No, I think it's been about fixing the problem. It hasn't been about goal-directed changes in the healthcare system. So it's been about, um, and part of that I think is, is the fee-for-service nature of it and the, the physician training that's, that's you know, <laughs> uh, goes back, you know, probably hundreds of years, the grand rounds and tumor boards. These are all 
presentations of problems that need fixed. Um, the reason somebody might need to um, get their knee fixed or something might need, you know, might be um, a, a wedding they're trying to attend or so they need to take care of their kids or there's something else that's driving them and motivating them. And I in those parts of a patient's um, uh, life, I don't think are entered into much in healthcare. I don't think, you know, my doctor certainly doesn't know what I want to accomplish or, and, and maybe I don't either, but I think to, to get me engaged in my own healthcare, it really helps to uh, make those goals present or, you know, we talk about gamification and some other methods to create near-term goals that can get that behavior change headed in the right direction. Well, uh, something along the lines of gamification, um, or admittedly uh, as engagement, which which you talked about earlier before we went on the air, is uh, uh, this: uh, you uh, you're uh, uh, a man in 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 good health. You're uh, I assume somewhere between your 30s and your 40s. Uh, you don't strike me as being in that category of obese and necessarily sedentary in your life. But you're looking at a situation that you feel uh, drawn to around this couch to 5K level. Yeah, this is one of the things that I'm involved in. Uh, It's really being driven by a guy named Nate De Niro. um, But uh, in conjunction with the open source convention, OSCON, in Portland, uh, week of July 17th, there's going to be something called the Couch to Quantified 5K, which... um, you haven't heard of Couch to Quantified. It's a, or sorry, Couch to 5K. It's a, and you can just Google that, uh, C25K. It's a program to get people up off the couch and create those kind of near-term uh, wins to, to get them uh, to the goal of a 5K event. Um, what's different about the one, and actually I just started doing this uh, this week, and, you know, I'm not in bad shape, but I'm probably – 25 pounds heavier than I was when I got married, um, which is will be 10 years next year. Um, and I haven't really been able to run much. Um, I work out of the gym and stuff, but I, you know, just started this new barefoot running thing and it's actually working really well because I have flat feet, but for for any reason, (laughs) it's actually working. And uh, I'm um, excited to, you know, have that goal to do the 5k. What's different about the one that's going to be in Portland is that there's going to be all kinds of uh, quantified devices that people will be wearing as they compete. So, And then a hackathon um, after the event um, and prizes awarded to the most innovative uses of the data that's collected while people are running. So it's really a unique event. And it, it, it's also indicative of the direction I think things are headed. I think um, another good example uh, of this kind of platform nature and the kind of things you can do with better data, better architecture, and better engagements. And I, I want to highlight those three things. Um, well, well, well let me – let me. okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead, finish that thought. Uh, that I just, have. Um, every heart – you might have heard of everyheartbeat.org, but so I think it's out of the University of Southern California. Uh, they're starting a site to try and uh, do EKGs over cell phones um, for literally anybody – in the world and start collecting this enormous data set. And uh, so far, even the small uh, samples they've done, it's people in Africa have been 
diagnosed from uh, from afar. So there's just a lot of <laughs> opportunity uh, with better data, better architects for engagement. But that, that goes back to a little bit to the first question about uh, the ACOs and Moneyball architecture or Moneyball Medicine series that I did, uh, which is mostly about the architecture and the data. And this l latest piece is about engagement. Um, I'll stop there. And like so, that's more right. Questions. No, no. That's, so that's great. So actually, what what actually triggered me was the, the use of gamification, and then in the context of engagement, and this whole idea that we're really talking about health, and we're talking about health in ways that are different from the point of view of what patient goals might look like outside of a fee for service system, whereas this there's this siloed focus on an individual patient from an individual practitioner's perspective to a much more global population level perspective. And what we know is what's killing us is chronic illness, diseases of lifestyle and choice. So if there's any sort if there's any positive movement that's different today than perhaps 20 or 30 years ago in terms of health reform, it's kind of understanding the underlying behavioral dynamics of choice and health status outcome and what some of the tools are to move us along the continuum from less healthy to more healthy choices. So I was personalizing it with you because of the conversation we had earlier about you know, you haven't been running and, you know, you're not in bad shape, but you could be better and you got a busy life and a family and yada, 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 yada. You're going to be aided in your quest to be, to make healthier choices by some of this technology, some of the social networks that underlie the technology and some of your sort of day-to-day -day choices that may be in fact driven by information provided to you by these social networks. Is that a fair characterization? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've just, I, and I'm not a heavy quantified self person, but um, now when I go on a bike ride or, or now that I'm just starting running again, I use uh, uh, apps. I use Endomundo to track my progress, and, you know, it's great. And it's just that feedback that you can share um, and learn from, from people within your network. Um, I can see how many calories I've burned on my mountain bike ride and I can uh, track how far I've gone and it's pretty amazing just those little elements of feedback really drives um, the enjoyment of these kinds of activities I think so so given that level of enthusiasm and engagement albeit perhaps maybe one rung outside the early adopters, which include people like you and I and the kind of people who travel to D.C. to attend a D.C. Health Data and Innovation Week mm -hmm. and get excited by something called the Health Data Palooza or the ACO Summit or Quantified sure. Self or Health Camp. You know, there's this at-risk population out there who says, Health Data what? <laughs> Quantify who? Sure. Sure. <laughs> you know, so let's. How do we take it outside and mainstream something uh, in front of the audience who actually needs this stuff and can can, can benefit from it? Well, it, I think it does come back to that idea of uh, understanding goals um, in the same way uh, with user experience design. You you do a lot of research and you ask the right questions about what goals are. Um, you don't want to be, um, when we think about these things, we think about the data, we think about the underlying things, but that's certainly not 
the right way to come at it. You want to come at it as being a transparent enabler to get somebody working towards their goals. The more transparent it can be, um, and the, yet still the more engaging. You know, when you play a video game or something, you don't think about um, the fact that you're engaged, you just are. And I think the same will be true of the solutions that uh, come even for these chronic disease patients. So then the other side of that is incentives. And I don't know what kind of incentives can be created, but these are kind of, you know, when we talk about gamification, we're talking about artificial incentives and that can be part of the mix. Um, but uh, okay, give, give the other incentives are, uh, you know, goals are a great incentivizer. If you can put it in those clear terms, I think. So for you know, help me understand what might be a, a practical illustration of an incentive inside a gamification inside of a healthcare app. What, what, what might you be talking about? Well, you can. Uh, I'm just ideating here, but you know, there's things like Foursquare, which I have mixed opinions about. But um, you know, you when you check them somewhere to get points, you could get points for engaging in certain activities and there can be a competition between you and your friends about the activities that you engage in. Okay, because what was coming up for me was RunKeeper. I have an Android phone. I have the RunKeeper app downloaded. When I run, it documents you know where I ran, how far I ran, the, per the pace I ran. Then I can upload it and maybe share it with a, a community who then shows me how I'm doing in relation to uh, maybe some peers and then that might give me some either competitive uh, motivation or it might give me some emotional support to continue. I mean, that's is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I think, well, you've kind of hit on two different things. One is the the points, and the other is the uh, social element uh, of it, uh, or the kind of status element that you have among your social network, and those are two pretty powerful but kind of separate motivators. Okay. Uh, actually, at the health camp, we talked a lot about that. I don't know if you're in those sessions, but um, kind of uh, there's been, always been games, but this whole new social layer that's built on top of games has, you know, driven even more um, motivation to get involved. So, if, and I'm not a World of Warcraft person, but uh, you look at those kind of massive online multiplayer games, uh, the social status really motivates people to get involved and and, uh, and and active within those communities. I imagine the same kind of thing can help with, happen in health communities. Right. Okay, well, we'll look forward to that. And uh, uh, maybe there's a, a grandma equivalent <laughs> World of Warcraft that's going to pull that demographic uh, group in in some meaningful way. Let, well, let me... A lot of those, they don't have to be just technological, though. I mean, you could build a you could build a system where the care coordinators can be more high touch, um, but it's more in a, in a uh, the data is captured through those touches, and the, the triggers for those touches are are managed by the system. Well, um, but, do, but, it, do, but it doesn't have to be an interface with technology; it could be okay. technology backed. Well, that might even be the subject of an entirely separate show getting into what, <laughs> what that looks like particularly uh, you know if I'm a Medicare risk contractor and I want to further engage my at-risk population in healthy behaviors you know what are some of the apps I might be looking at and considering you know as an example 
So so let's finish because we're coming down. We got a little over six minutes remaining. So the net takeaway from this dark matter and patient goals, perhaps at the center of that, is you know sum it up. What, what do you say? I uh, first you know, first of all we need to get people engaged and and the, a, a really great way to get people engaged is to give them a goal, give them some kind of endpoint to meet along the way. You know, if you go into a physician's office and they say, hey, you got to lose weight, hey, you got to get your blood pressure down. Um, but really, what is the goal and how? what's the roadmap to get there as opposed to um, just... The roadmap, the tools, and then tools, the support right. on how to get there. Okay, very good. So, well, thank you for that piece. It was really informative, and I, I hope it gets uh, widespread uh, visibility. So in the remaining uh, five minutes we have, let's shift to the... Uh, Affordable Care Act, the uh, Supreme Court uh, picking up the decision. Um, what, what, what's some of the buzz that you're hearing? Where, where, where are you coming down on? Will they or will they not rule this thing unconstitutional? And what, what do you see as a likely impact? Well, I've seen that uh, before the arguments were made, people were giving it a 1%, 2% chance of being overturned. Um, now they've done some some studies, I don't know exactly how they're done, but the, they've interviewed people close to the justices uh, and put an, put an algorithm together, and now I'm hearing 57% uh, likely overturn of at least the individual mandate. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's mostly what I hear is a 50-50 chance that the mandate's going to be overthrown. Uh, mm. It's it, throwing out the whole thing is it's hard to imagine because there's so many <laughs> that horse, as they say, has already left the barn in so many different areas. It's going to be uh, interesting. So it's kind of hard to imagine that doesn't mean it won't happen. Well, I'm with you. Uh, I'm picking up uh, some of that sort of uh, evolving sentiment. I think, uh, as I mentioned before we went live, is uh, they did a, a mood court and basically came up with, I think, a 10% probability that they would uh, consider overturning an act that was approved by both houses of the Congress and signed into the law by the president. I mean, if there's anything more, is there any better example of judicial activism it would be? <laughs> yeah. It would be essentially uh, repealing the legislative process. But... Um, <laughs> So, you know, I, I would say for anyone listening, if they haven't already, check out acowatch.com. There's a couple of blog posts there. Um, perhaps the most insightful from contextual guidance and support would be um, the uh, June 20th post, Unbundling the Act Provisions for the ACOs. It, it outlines essentially the impact uh, uh, um, of ACOs, but more importantly, thanks to the Kaiser Family Foundation, it itemizes by year the provisions of the Affordable Care Act from 2010 through 2018. And what's of interest there is uh, in 2010, there were 26 provisions, 26 of which are in effect. In 2012, there's 20 provisions, 17 are in effect, Excuse me, that was 2011. 2012, there's 11, 9 in effect. And uh, 2013, there's already 13. There are already 5 in effect uh, for the uh, calendar year 2013. And it unbundles it. But if the individual mandate is repealed, 
there's going to be enormous blowback from the health plan community, the Association of uh, Health Insurance Association of America, the Health uh, AHIP, that's their old name, uh, would just absolutely come unglued because uh, them being required to incorporate all these preventive measures and waiving co- uh, um, uh, eliminating pre-existing conditions, essentially taking the underwriting off the table is going to create a death spiral uh, of adverse ser- selection for them and make uh, health insurance even more unaffordable than it is already. So I can't envision the Supreme Court of the United States basically uh, acting contrary to what is essentially sound actuarial science uh, uh, and just trying to say that somehow that doesn't matter in the global mix of things. So, But I'm with you. I have no inside knowledge and I'm simply reading tea leaves. But one other thing I would say is that the horse is out of the barn. You know, the innovation and transformation is occurring in accountable care, whether it's being sort of guided by the CMS or HHS. Health plans and provider systems, hospitals, physicians are working together to develop accountable care strategies. So regardless, you know, it's not going to be yeah, a Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think the most, if it is overturned, one of the more valuable things is it's really changed the mindset, I think, of, about sustainability of the healthcare system and and I get the sense that, you know, changing the incentives in the whole system is, um, you know, is getting people aligned in the right direction for once. Hopefully. Well, you know, uh, if not now, when? <laughs> you, know, how much, well, you know, how much more of the GDP does healthcare have to consume before we do something about it? So. Anyway, Leonard, I want to thank you for your time today. That's at Leonard Kish on Twitter. Follow him if you're not. We also mentioned Nate Dinero. That's Uncle Nate. Follow him on Twitter as well. We do this weekly when we can. This week in Cannibal Care. I want to say thanks for now. Thanks, Leonard. And we'll do this next week. Bye now. Thanks, Ray.
But that was when I ruled the world. 